this next series of industry podcasts for C-Centric, Chief Executive Wayne Bruce talks to key executives about the issues facing the healthcare sector today. First, Wayne talks to Dr. Michael Stanford, who's the Group CEO of St. John of God Healthcare. Michael, thanks very much for your time today. Could I uh, start by opening you where you see the, the healthcare industry heading over the next five years? Well, uh, the healthcare industry is uh, at one level reasonably recession-proof, but at another level we have a view that the next five years are going to be pretty tough um, in short. Uh, obviously there's the uh, broader economic issues, but I think most recently uh, the change or proposed change to one of the basic underpinnings of private health insurance is a concern to us. Uh, not only for what it represents now, but for what it's likely to mean about future government decision making. Mm, mm, mm. And um, in terms of the Commonwealth Government, they're undertaking or partway through this uh, focus on national health and hospital reform. Perhaps what do you think about the paper they've come out with uh, to date, and do you see that it might open up opportunities for St John of God as a result? Uh, it's interesting. It's a great idea. Uh, we think it's a great idea that there is a Hospital and Health Reform Commission. So that, that's good. It's good thinking of the government to do that. The question will be, especially given that since it was first conceived, we have had the, uh, the global recession and the economy has become sort of front and centre in Australia major focus, uh, is the government going to be um, receptive to whatever it comes up with, what sorts of decisions will it make, and particularly will it want to be reformist in health. And they've got so many, the government's got so many different things on at the moment, it's just hard to see how that'll play out. So we're not sure that the government will be in the mood for any radical reform, and, and if it is not in the mood for radical reform now or in the medium term, then maybe there will be less options as mm -hmm. well as less problems for us. Uh, one of the sorts of things we've, we've talked uh, with health funds about has been the so-called um, Option uh, 3 model with regard to change health financing. That's the proposed model, something like the Dutch model. And that clearly is something a few of the funds are supporting. At one level, that always makes us a bit nervous if the funds like it. What, what should the providers think? But we think that that would, uh, that would have some merit and certainly some opportunities as well as some challenges. Uh, it certainly would change the way health financing is delivered, the role of funds would broaden significantly and we would need to broaden our service offering significantly in response to that. So a bit of wait and see, but um, some upside and some challenge. Mm. And being a major operator of private hospitals um, around the country, I mean, have you seen any impact of the so-called global financial uh, crisis on, on your hospitals? Uh, absolutely, and most of it's good, I'd say, at this stage. We are reasonably recession-proof in the sense that the population isn't going to shrink and the ageing of the population is not going to change and the number of people who are sick isn't going to get any less. In fact, you could argue it's possibly going to get more um, over time. So the, the debate will be more about whether the patients will go to uh, the public system or the private system, and lots of us on the private side would think that the public system probably doesn't have the capacity or the staff or the recurrent funding to cope with a big demand. So in that sense, um, we think patient numbers, um, not only are they holding up, we think they will hold up over the next few years unless there's a major change in federal government policy or the recession is worse than we think. Mm. So, so that's good that the patient numbers would maintain because, or, or even potentially increase because a lot of industries would not be able to say that about their customer base. Um, we've seen so far from the um, FIAC data that the number of private health insured has uh, continued to increase just in a small um, way, particularly in a state like WA where we have 60% of our operations, the numbers continue to increase and are the highest in the country, which is great. Uh, we'll watch with bated breath the June quarter data, but at least at March quarter, 
numbers increasing with the recession already at least eight months on. Um, we think it's probably pretty healthy going um, going forward. The things that we're finding that are really good, which uh, perhaps aren't surprising, is that there's a lot uh, a lot of people have become very interested in work and working more hours. So our agency rates in nursing and other areas have largely um, and very significantly decreased. A mm. uh, lot more people seem to be applying for jobs. You know, where there was three or four, now there's 50 for, for perhaps lower skilled jobs. Um, we're finding it easier to recruit nurses, to recruit other staff, less wages pressure. You know, IT, finance and others, especially in the West where there was a skill shortage, are not able to now say uh, there's quite as much wages pressure. Uh, people are stickier, the turnover rates have gone down, uh, and uh, building costs have gone down, which is another good mm. thing. So where we, we found, especially in the West, but also in Victoria, there have been uh, situations where building costs have been pr- so prohibitive we've had to put things off, mm. we can now contemplate doing those, whether they're minor refurbs or or more significant uh, work. So definitely some upside from mm. the recession in health and uh, you know some clouds on the horizon, but overall we're, we feel we're travelling pretty well. Mm. Well, let's hope the silver lining maintains itself. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in an overall sense, what uh, what sort of contribution do you think that, that private and not-for-profit healthcare groups can make to the overall health system? Well, we're about 60% of, uh, sorry, we're about 40% of the hospital sector. The other 60% is the public hospital sector. So in some ways our, our presence um, keeps the public sector honest, if you will, and keeps it thinking ahead of how to develop its facilities, its equipment, its services, how to be competitive with regards to staff. So in that sense we're probably uh, we're able to put a bit of competition into the total picture. And within our sector there's obviously a lot of competition as well, so we're, we're required to innovate and develop and spend money and do those things to, to get better. So um, I think overall we, we're a major contributor, uh, as I say, 40%, but in certain areas, particularly surgery, uh, oncology, even obstetrics, we're way more than 50% of the total workload. So we punch above our weight in those areas, less medical work, but uh, more in, in terms of other areas. So we're a major service provider, which is one uh, very important thing uh, on a national basis. I think the com- one of the changes I've observed over the last 10 or 15 years is the private sector is now really leading the way in terms of facility improvement and equipment. And if I give a simple example, uh, our Subiaco hospitals had a robot for surgery for about two years. There is none in the public sector in the West. Yeah. It's likely there will be, but I actually think that's a good good point that the private sector is prepared to lead the way, put some money in, develop new technology and move on, especially the bigger hospitals. Yeah. Another example in our Ballarat Regional Hospital, there was no cardiac catheter lab. People had to go to Melbourne. Two years ago, we put in uh, a catheter lab, and that's, I don't know whether I'd say embarrassed, but it's led the local public sector into applying and getting government funding for a, a public cardiac catheter lab in Ballarat. All up, that'll be great. That'll help cardiologists come to Ballarat, so we help in that way. And I think that that last point about helping um, recruit doctors is a key one. We, um, we think we add to um, developing the workforce very substantially. The private sector now is getting very involved with undergraduate training, particularly medical and nursing, also allied health. Uh, we now have um, relationships with Notre Dame University and UWA for medical students. Uh, we have with Deakin University, uh, Notre Dame and, uh, and other universities over east for medical students and we're really ramping up the number. We want them to be trained, we want them to stay, especially perhaps like Deakin, uh, a regional focus. We want them to be trained in the bush, we want them to stay in the bush. And then we're moving into, we've now got about 30 registrar positions. Um, the Commonwealth now funds those directly. We and other private hospitals are seeking to become much uh, more involved with intern training, resident positions, registrar positions. Uh, that 
doesn't have a direct benefit to us other than perhaps standard of care. It's good to have extra support. But it does mean that the states in which we operate will have the workforce because the public system isn't big enough to train all the people that are needed in, say, the state of WA or the state of Victoria. So that teaching focus helps the community in terms of workforce, which is good. Perhaps the last point, we've got seven of our 14 hospitals are in regional areas. Uh, we've, the sisters originally deliberately chose that and we've really built on that, both in Victoria, WA and in Christchurch in New Zealand. And um, we think that's a very important thing in terms of access and investment in those communities. So if you looked at a place like Geraldton, which is a town of about 25,000 people, um, we are a major part of the community infrastructure. We're a major employer. We're a major purchaser of product. And if we weren't there and there wasn't a private hospital, their ability to attract doctors, specialists to that community would be significantly lessened to the cost of that community. Mm. And with less medical support, there'd be less people saying, I want to go and live in Geraldton to mm. work on the mines. Mm. So we do play a very important role in helping attract doctors and help keep a population in place and help support those communities, mm. which we're proud of. Mm. Mm. So it can be a sort of situation of, if you like, mutual collaboration and win-win between the public and private in a lot Absolutely, of cases. Absolutely, yeah, mm. yeah. Work, in fact, when they work together, we've each got different roles. I mean, we don't compete for public patients, although on occasion there are tenders for them. And largely, although there's a little bit of competition for private patients, they've largely got their work um, you know, worked out. Um, it is much better when you agree on let's try and get an oncologist to town or two more obstetricians to town or let's work out a way where we don't have to build a rehab unit if you build a rehab unit. That, that's a much better use of community resources. Mm. And, and frankly, we're in the church and charitable sector, so we've got a long-term view and it's about community benefit uh, and that's pretty similar to the public system as well. And what, moving on from that, I mean, what do you see as the key issues facing the health system in, in attracting and retaining talent, perhaps at the, the senior levels? Um, well, I mentioned values-driven organisation uh, is, is definitely important and definitely we find that people, often we're getting people from the for-profits and we like that because they've got commercial understanding, but they're people who, who want to, at the end of the day, think they're contributing um, to the community. They want a chance to express that in different ways and to be in an organisation that's planning to be there long-term, that's had a long-term history, that sees itself very much as a good corporate citizen. So that's something we definitely push and we try to engage people with the chance to be involved with community activities. Um, we find that is quite life-enhancing in its own way. One of the things we've found, we've uh, significantly grown over the last seven years. We've more than doubled our staff from 4,200 to 8,700 at the moment. We've doubled our hospital number from 7 to 14, and we've increased our pathology business and our community services. And one thing that's come out of that is that, uh, not surprisingly, more people are interested in working in a growing organisation than a shrinking organisation. Um, they like the optimism of growth. They think, wow, something's happening here. And they also like the fact that there are career path possibilities that open up. You've got more hospitals that you could maybe become the CEO of or more finance positions or more HR positions or more director of nursing positions and of different types, rehab, psychiatry, general hospitals, uh, pathology and the like. So that growth has been part of it and we definitely would say to people uh, having forward momentum is important if you're trying to attract people. We focus very much on trying to grow people's roles, so everybody, um, we, we work very hard on development planning. Uh, the main focus of our performance review is to develop, uh, to create a development plan. It's not actually so much about assessing performance because ideally you'd know that on the way through. But we're very focused on individual um, development and at a senior level, simple example, we've had three people in the last two years that we've supported go through the executive MBA program at Melbourne Uni. But a couple of people right this month off at Harvard doing exec education courses. And at the senior levels, uh, people certainly really appreciate that the organisation 
values them enough that it's prepared to spend that sort of money, free up mm. that sort of time. And we think we get that investment back in spades, but it's an important investment. Um, in fact, whether or not people are going to stay with us, they're going to stay in the health system, so we have a long-term long -term view. Mm. Um, we definitely try to be competitive on pay, uh, notwithstanding that we're a not-for-profit. We're quite clear that we want people to do... Well, our board's view is we want people to perform in a best practice way and to do that, paying them in a best practice way is, is equivalent. And they really measure us against the top quartile and everything that we're doing, all the, everything we can survey and every other way we look at it, we're compared to the best and um, you know, competitive pay is um, part of that process as well. Perhaps the last thing to mention is that um, from a senior leadership point of view, it's our collective job at our, in our senior exec team to really work on how to inspire and motivate and encourage the people that work for them. And uh, again, if, if that's happening, and which is not easy, but if it's happening, then the people working for them, uh, it's another reason to stay. I like, you know, people leave because they don't like the person they're working for often. So if you don't value or respect or like the person you're working for, you're in trouble. So we work hard on making sure that people will feel inspired and motivated by the person who's their boss. Mm. And looking into the future, Michael, um, do you think there's perhaps some generic competencies that the leaders in healthcare in the future, whether they be a, a sort of an executive administrative or a clinical nature, are there other generic competencies that are important? I think whether you're clinical or um, executive, there's a lot that's in common as to what you need to do. Obviously someone um, who uh, is in a clinical role would need clinical excellence as one of their background features. Someone in a management role is going to have to be excellent as a manager, so that sort of that's obvious. Uh, the things that I think are common... Um, People have to have great relationship skills. Uh, if they, they probably always have had to, but I definitely think nowadays, um, not only in larger organisations, to be to be able to get things done, you need to be able to negotiate and influence people. That's a key competency. You've got to get on with people. You've got to get on with people outside your organisation, whether it's universities, state or commonwealth health departments, GP divisions, you name it, colleges. You've got to be able to relate to people. So I think uh, I've become aware relationship skills and negotiating and influencing are absolutely key to, to both those groups. One of the other things we value, but I'd say is the case for both groups, you, you have to be capable of long-term thinking and getting short-term results. We would always be unhappy with someone who's just short-term focused at the expense of what's the right thing to do over a three, five or ten year period. And at the same time, you don't want someone only thinking about ten years away without actually managing productivity, KPIs or whatever it is um, short-term. So. Yeah, that's an important thing, long-term thinking and, and short-term results. You've got to be able to do both those uh, things. Um, teamwork, I mentioned relationship, but uh, increasingly people work in teams to get things done, you know, one-off projects, working parties, committees, whatever the thing is, it's a team of people and you've got to be able to quickly work out how to work with that team for that team to get an, uh, an objective. In our case, we have at St John of God Healthcare a notion called servant leadership which is basically, instead of the sort of heroic, I'm out the front type of leadership, everybody follow me because I know the way, we're much more the sort of leader from behind who's sort of pushing, cajoling and generally subtly moving people um, forward. Uh, that's a much better way for us to go because then what that's about is getting the best out of the people who work for and with you. And I think that's one of the things we've learned is that, uh, and it's a competence for both, is working out how to attract good people, how to develop and motivate good people and then largely through them achieve what you need to achieve. So that's definitely a competence. And, and perhaps to finish um, in terms of competence, people need to think about their own development and to constantly be working about, well, that's a skill I haven't got, that's an experience I haven't got. How can I talk with my boss about getting the opportunity to, to do that, to visit there, to have some new things? So personal development, professional development, yeah, people have to be responsible for that and they have to be competent about it. Thanks very much for your time today. It's a pleasure, Brett.